As CEO Chris Crosby has built TMA World to be a leader in cross-cultural learning, serving global clients on five continents. Today, we're speaking with Chris to find out about the entrepreneurial journey he's been on in taking TMA World to the global stage, working with some of the most prestigious brands, and how his success can inspire you on your training business journey. Hey! And welcome to the trainingbusiness.com podcast. Every week, we bring you exciting news and interviews with training business experts and training business entrepreneurs from around the world. Thanks for tuning into today's episode. Here's your host, Mark Garrett Hayes. Hey, and welcome to the show. My name is Mark Garrett Hayes. I'm the host of this podcast, and this podcast is for you, for training business professionals all around the world. And the goal of the show is is to help you to start to grow and to scale your training business. Now, before the music, I mentioned someone by the name of Chris Crosby. And Chris is today's guest because he is the CEO of TMA World, an international training business headquartered in London, but with offices in other countries around the world. And TMA World helps global organizations like IBM, PepsiCo, Wrigley, BP, and others to achieve what we call cross-cultural intelligence and borderless collaboration. And we'll talk about what those terms mean specifically in this episode. Chris is joining us live from London this morning. Here's Chris. Chris, good morning and welcome to the show. Good morning. You are talking to us live from London this morning. Yes, indeed I am. Yes, I'm, uh, we're based actually um, just on Piccadilly, mm-hmm. so central London. Okay. So let's begin with what brought you to the training business world, because as CEO of a highly successful training company, I always love to, to share the kind of nitty gritty, the, the entrepreneurial journey. Where did someone start, which got them to where they are now? So again, what, what brought you to the training business world? Well, um, TMA World was started actually originally in Paris uh, in the early 90s, in 1993. Um, and the company was um, set up by myself and a Dutch colleague, Hans van der Linden. And the two of us were actually MBA students um, at the time. Uh, we were studying um, at uh, ESCP in, in Central Paris uh, on the executive MBA program. And um, as part of the MBA course, uh, we undertook research into the area of cross-cultural management. And at the end of the year after graduation, we thought there was the potential of a business opportunity in it. So, so that's kind of the... That was kind of how we started. We are we are a double act um, in many respects. So um, yeah, TMA World is is from its origins the two of us, a Dutch, UK, I suppose perspective. Um, but yeah, we work very closely together still. Okay. So what is your superpower? Let's call it that as CEO. What, what gives you the the shall we say the skill set to run an organization like this? Yeah. Um, so superpower, <laughs> it's a great term. You know, I think the uh, our business is essentially made up of um, many different sort of contributing factors, but I think the common denominator in, in all areas is, is the talent within our business. Um, we have people who are world experts on certain topics and subjects. Uh, we have people who are technical experts in their field, uh, we have experts in instructional design, uh, we have uh, experts in marketing, we have experts in sales, and so forth. I think the, you know, the real challenge f- for me and for Hans in terms of how we've uh, built and grown the business is, is always been identifying the talent 
we can in others and utilizing them effectively. I think that's that's the sort of fundamental role, I suppose, of a CEO is is to find the best you can find and and use them use them to the best of their abilities. You, you mentioned the different skill sets in the organisation. How is the business structured? Well, so we, I mean, we're a relatively flat organisation. Um, like many training businesses um, uh, that exist, you know, we we um, operate very much on a kind of a, a dual model of having a sort of core central group, full time employees in the business around core functions and core business activities. And then we have a range of external or associates um, within uh, that we call on at various points. Um, so um, uh, within the sort of core structure of the business, we operate in units around sales, client services, customer success, technical, um, learning and product design as well. So um, our business is very much around developing its own content um, uh, subject matter experts uh, as well. So we're, we're doing research in the marketplace and bringing that research into the business to think about the development of new products and new learning content and course materials. The external grouping, um, we, have a, we have a network of around about 200 associate consultants um, in around 60 countries. So our training delivery is delivered um, through that associate network, um, and this is a group that's obviously very important to us. It's one we've invested a lot of time in developing and growing. Um, but um, it, you know, they are there as an external uh, uh, associate population that we bring in on specialist assignments and that type of thing. What were some of the challenges in the early years of TMA World, and and how did you overcome them? Well. We started really, you know, we, we, I mentioned the MBA when we were looking at the concept of cross-cultural training, I think we had a pretty clear idea of what we had experienced during our MBA year, which was a very international group. Um, I think there were over 30 different nationalities in the student body. Um, we were thrown together in very intense uh, learning projects as part of the, the MBA year. And you had to uh, work with people from different cultures. Um, uh, to achieve a, a, a deliverable and a project um, uh, at the end of it. So I think the you know we had uh, an experience of thinking that you know cultural training uh, was uh, an opportunity we felt that existed in the corporate marketplace, um, and we wanted to get out there and develop ideas and develop training content and material. Um, it was a relatively new idea, I think, uh, cross cultural training up until that point. Uh, historically had been very much focused on uh, understanding more about specific target countries and cultures. We were just as interested in the idea of, of international teams and how different cultures within a team environment could operate and work effectively together. So it was, you know, we were starting with with an early stage idea and we, we tried to figure out how we were going to turn that into a business idea. So you mentioned the idea of, of cross-culture. What is, or how would you define cross-cultural intelligence and what do you call borderless collaboration and why do they matter more importantly? Well, I think cultural intelligence um, for us, and, and that, this is a term that's been uh, re- being developed and refined over the years. Cultural intelligence is essentially the ability for individuals from from uh, from diverse backgrounds to work effectively together. Um, the, the 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 origins of cultural training um, go way back into terms of um, the development of missionaries working overseas, um, and then the expatriation 
or sorry, people sending uh, organizations, sending people overseas to work in, in different uh, foreign country locations, where the focus was very much on uh, understanding more about a country and culture, so very knowledge focused. Um, we were interested um, just as much in developing sort of core ideas of, of increased awareness at the individual level and that type of thing. So I think cultural intelligence has developed significantly, very much in line with the way that um, organization and the workplace has changed. What we've noticed um, over the course of our uh, existence as a business um, is the, the increasing adoption of digital technologies. So where globalization has been a major influencer within organizations, um, so obviously digital technologies has, has started to play a, a, a significant role. And I think the workplace today is very much driven by the, the primary forces of uh, digital technologies and, and globalization. Um, and it's creating, you know, a, a, a complex, um, highly sort of intercultural um, dynamic marketplace. And I think the, the idea of the borderless workplace is uh, where people who are working uh, across different geographies, time zones, um, often working together um, in team environments and that type of thing, need really the sort of skills, uh, the capabilities to support um, the, the technologies and the different sort of environments that they're working in. Okay, so are there competitors out there in, in the space of providing cross-cultural intelligence and training in the area of borderless collaboration, as you call it? Are you aware of people out there who are kind of in the same space? Well, I think there are different types of, of, of levels of education within the corporate marketplace. There are there are the smaller boutique consultancies, um, such as TMA World, uh, certainly, who are developing uh, or, or looking to try and sort of uh, grapple with the sort of skills and the competences um, and, and look at developing sort of relevant training content and material um, to provide solutions to that. Uh, some of the business schools still operate very much in that area. I think the, the fundamental for us has always been about the human uh, and the behavioral side of uh, what is impacting in the workplace. So we often talk about the human challenges of globalization um, and, and, as I've said, increasingly digitization in the marketplace. So how do you address the human challenges as the workplace continues to evolve rapidly? Um, how do you make sure you're identifying firstly the competences and then developing those competences so that um, so that people can be um, successful in the, in, in the workplace? What would you say then is the secret sauce or let's call it the unfair advantage which TMA World has over other providers in the marketplace? If you were to, to stand, stand up and say, this is what we do differently, this is what makes us stand out, what would that be? Well, I think I'd go back to, to what I mentioned at the beginning. I think the, the idea of a collaborative advantage is a very important one for us. Um, so, you know, in a way, it's a combination of factors, um, but it's very much about um, bringing people with specialist skills and, and specialist inputs together, um, you know, and, and ensuring that, that, you know, there's, there's clear direction um, around what we're creating and, and what we're developing. Um, and that's, and I think in, in our market, you know, we are trying to be strategic and identify market trends. So we need people who are, uh, uh, who have the vision and the ability to identify what's happening in the market and then to respond and develop solutions you know, that, that are meeting these kind of evolving needs. So I think that sort of unfair advantage is 
How do we bring a core team of specialists together who are passionate about what they do, um, but to do it in a way that, that that contributes to the single goal of the business? So let's talk about that that team of specialists you mentioned, about 200 associates. How do you identify those people who are a good fit for TMA World? Have you some kind of onboarding or before that identification process which convinces you, yes, these are the people we can reliably put in front of our uh, clients who who will wear the hat of TMA World successfully and professionally? Yeah, uh, the the uh, the source really is 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 being well networked within to, within local markets within within local organisations. The cross cultural training community um, is has grown significantly over the years. If I if I go back to thinking about where it was in the early 90s to where it is today, there are there's a significant network of cross-cultural training specialists, um, also kind of impinging on diversity and inclusion, training, global mobility, um, support services, and that type of thing. Um, we have a dedicated, um, one of our directors is dedicated specifically um, on uh, global sort of resourcing. Uh, so his job is entirely focused on identifying um, relevant trainers with the relevant skills and capabilities in different markets and local markets. Um, we have an onboarding process. Um, so where an individual might be working on a particular client project, they will be uh, inducted into that particular program in relation to the goals, the aims, um, and clearly in relation to any content or any training content that they are delivering. Um, we maintain an internal tree, uh, team of facilitators and consultants. So we have a, the idea of a master facilitator um, who will essentially be the lead consultant or lead facilitator on a particular program. Uh, and he or she will then bring in uh, the relevant people from the network and we will support that through an induction program on each particular client case. Okay, so you, you've got um, some pretty big names in your client portfolio. What kinds of organizations do you find come to you? Um, obviously, they're international and focused, but what kinds of organizations would you think are the sweet spot for the business solutions that you provide? Yeah, I mean, we've we've worked with a wide cross-section of organizations, both in the, in the sort of public and, and private sectors. Uh, the... The, the typical organization, I suppose, in some way is going through a degree of change, some form of transformation. Um, that's a common theme uh, through through many organizations. Uh, the one thing we are seeing increasingly in the cultural intelligence space and the borderless uh, workplace type environment uh, increasingly is greater collaboration across organizations. Um, and this is this is clearly being driven by by a number of factors. But enabling collaboration across the organization um, is the central challenge that many of our clients are facing, regardless of size, actually, um, you know, whether it's working for um, a, uh, an NGO, of maybe 5,000 employees, all the way up to um, organizations with 300,000 employees. Co- collaboration is a common theme in terms of, of making, getting people engaged and making sure that they are working effectively together. Um, so I, it's very difficult to sort of paint a picture of a typical organization, but there are common themes, I think, that are developing across um, a lot of the clients that we're working with. Yeah, I'm not going to mention the clients. They're on the website if anyone wants to look at them, but they're pretty big names. I mean, they're, they're international conglomerates. They're in education, publishing, financial services. They're household brands. 
what is it what's involved in 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 attracting people of that caliber um and how would you you know convince them to entrust the development of their people to your brand TMA World I think again regardless of the size uh, of organization mark the you know the common things that that you know we know work with our clients um a pretty core i mean their core values us in terms of passion uh, we've got to have belief in ourselves we've got to have belief in our capabilities we've got to have belief in our products um you we need to develop trust um you know we need to have an honest assessment of our capabilities we need to be very clear about what we can do and what we can't do um and that leads on to a sort of third area around dialogue an honest dialogue um it doing doing what we say we're going to do and providing feedback you know it's so um, again, it's common, I think, across many organizations, the relationship needs to be properly founded um, and it needs to be based on trust. And, and, um, and as I've said, passion is, is the key thing, I think, which is the, very much the sort of binding glue in our business. Yeah, I suppose I'm kind of uh, niggling you there. I'm looking really to, to think in the shoes of our listeners, someone's thinking, good Lord, look at those clients. Uh, how would someone attract a blue chip organization? Because many companies, training businesses, want to have the kinds of clients that you have. So I'm not looking for any kind of uh, you know individual uh, protected uh, data here, but the, the kinds of, I suppose... The kinds of, of um, special approach that would convince someone of that kind of blue chip um, standing to, to take uh, a leap of faith with an organization. Obviously, you have at this stage a lot of top brands in your portfolio, so there's an element of referral. But, but for many organizations listening to this, they might think, how do I actually bring in someone where often it's a kind of a nebulous and a multi-step process to attract uh, a multinational co- corporation on board as a client? Well, I think it is. I mean, I, you know, I, I think the, the business of being a training provider in the corporate space at the moment is, 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 um, uh, is, a, is, a, is a somewhat difficult situation. I think the many organizations today, and, and I suppose it's, it's true that the larger they are, the more they tend to have a sort of multi-stakeholder approach. Particularly if, you're, particularly if you're looking at a, at a larger scale or enterprise level engagement of some kind. Um, so, so making sure you have a very clear process around how you engage at a multi-stakeholder level is critically important. Um, the other thing that is fundamental in any engagement, again, large or small, is proving value. Um, you know, we have to, as training providers, prove value day in, day out. Um, so, so that is got to be uppermost and, and clear in everything that you're doing from the early stage of an engagement discussion through to the implementation. Um, so I, you know, I think making sure that that is, um, front of, front of mind, but again, ultimately I would say it would come back to relationships. If I, if I think of some of the largest accounts that we work with, um, and some of these companies we've got 18 year relationships with almost 20 year relationships now, in fact, it's, 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 it's trust. It's the ability to evolve and adapt, um, and to keep communicating with the client and keep the relationship going. So we haven't had the same relationships over those 18, 20 years a 20 year period because people come and go but there's there needs to be a consistency in the way that you you operate as a business and the sorts of things that you provide 
uh, and, and are clear about in 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 developing value. But uh, the, you know the relationships are essentially one on one, and I think that that holds true across any business, whether it's a, a, a small business or a, or a big multinational. Okay, how important is marketing to you? And if so, which marketing channels? do you believe suits TMA world best and why? Well, I wish I knew the answer to that one. <laughs> right. <laughs> that would make all our lives a lot easier. Um, we, we live in a, I think we live in a very noisy environment. You know, the, the clients we're trying to meet, the prospects we're trying to influence and engage with are very, very busy individuals. Um, the, the idea of direct marketing and direct selling is very is very dis, uh, very difficult um, there are all sorts of barriers in place um, you know we do have um, a, a digital marketing uh, part to what we do um, it publishes regular content out um, we try to be current we try to be relevant in relation to um, blogs around cultural intelligence, blogs around borderless workplace, and the, and the challenges associated with that. And we hope that gets through. You know, it's it's a it's a specific skill set. It's a specific uh, way of marketing. Um, the uh, I suppose our our, our biggest um, uh, traditional form of marketing is is through word of mouth. Um, uh, people who we worked with in one organization move and go on to another organization and so on. We are, you know, we, we, we're not geographically focused specifically. Um, I should mention, although we are registered as a UK organization, um, we, 95% of our, of our business is outside of the UK. Um, so we're, we're, we're offering and marketing a global proposition. Um, and, um, you know, we, we, we target specific buyer groups within particular organizations um, uh, within the cultural intelligence and borderless workplace curriculum we offer specific programs and services to um, global mobility global diversity and inclusion and global talent so we are marketing particular sets of solutions to particular buyer groups within organizations yeah I can see from your website you've uh, offices in um London, obviously, uh, Moscow, Bangalore, Hong Kong, Singapore, and San Francisco. Correct. Yeah, those are uh, those are increasingly um, actual virtual offices for us. Um, we are, I suppose, as a strategy, we've been centralising some of the activities um, as we become more digital as a business, and this is obviously a major trend for many in the in the training industry at the moment. Um, we have actually moved um, uh, much of the. Uh, delivery of our content into a digital-first strategy. Um, it doesn't mean to say that, that we don't have um, people on the ground in local markets. We do, um, but they tend to be more specifically the, the, the experts and the facilitators and the consultants that, that, we, that we work with. Awkward question. Have there been products or programs over those 18 years, uh, without being specific, you don't have to mention them by name, but but have there been products or programs which didn't succeed, you know, as part of a learning journey? And, and why do you think that was the case? Yeah, we've, we've tried, we've tried different things at different points. Um, and there was, uh, I, I suppose, one example, um, which on paper, was very, very strong, we worked actually with a client um, uh, who is, uh, the, the client is in the project management and infrastructure uh, uh, arena. They're a global group. Um, we formed a joint venture business called Real World Learning, and they they provided the project and the infrastructure. We provided the leadership training and support. And the idea of Real World Learning was to take 
a learning project in a developing market and take a group of managers and leaders into that local market environment physically um, and work on a, on a social project um, and to provide leadership development and training as part of that. Um, and we actually delivered on that two or three times um, uh, um, for an organization in um, sub-Saharan Africa. Um, it was a great idea. People got a huge amount of value out of it, but it was just not something that we could scale in any in any real sense. And it it it, it kind of took us off our main focus, um, which was a shame because it was it was a fantastic idea. It was a fantastic learning experience, and it was something um, you know we we sometimes wondered we would like to have sort of. Um, revisited at some point. Would you call that your best mistake? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, no, I've, made, I've played, made plenty of mistakes. Um, so uh, what is the best mistake? It's a, it's, that's a difficult one to answer. I think the... Um, um, no, I think the, the issue um, for me really there is... Um, actually, I, I'll, I'll, I'm going to take you back to um, where the business started. Started. Yeah, let's do that. This is the personal perspective because um, the actually the the MBA program that I was I was thought I was signing up for was not the one I ended up on, which might sound a bit strange, um, and not many people in the business know this. But uh, anyway, I ended <laughs> I ended up and decided to go with this particular course, but it wasn't the original one I applied for. And I think um, the experiences of that, and in particular, um, meeting my business partner, Hans van der Linden, was without doubt the best mistake because um, uh, had I not met him, uh, uh, the business would never have happened, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, I think, you know, when I, when I was looking at that question, that was the thing that kind of resonated mostly with me. But we've made, we've made plenty of good and bad mistakes over the years. And that's always part of the learning process. So if you had the opportunity to go back in time uh, to, let's say, I don't know, year one or year two of operations, which advice would you give yourself knowing what you know now? Yeah, I think the, without a doubt, the, um, the advice would be focus, focus, focus. Um, the, the, opportunities in the early days, uh, when you're working with a client, um, who might ask you to do X, Y, and Z or go into different areas is very, very tempting. And I think we fell into that trap um, quite early on. And I think the if you've got an idea, if you've got a passion, and if you've got a belief, I think you should really focus on that. And I think, you know, we've been, uh, we've delivered a number of programs in a number of different areas for clients because we liked working with them and they liked working with us. But I wouldn't have said they were exactly core to the to the cultural training um, um, passion that, that we have as a business. So that would that was would really be the main um, the main uh, feedback I would have if I was giving something to myself. It is all about focus and staying absolutely sort of clear to the to the aim of the business and um, uh, and keeping that passion high. How long do you think it took to you know reach the point where you felt you and Hans felt that uh, yeah we know exactly what this business is. We're not going to do that. We're not going to do that. We're going to do this. This is the thing which is the hallmark of of TMA World's best work. I don't think we've arrived at that point. I think it's a constant evolution and a constant development. I think there's so much going on in the in the in the kind of corporate training market in the world of work at the moment. Um, that it's it that it's a constant 
excitement and a constant challenge. I think the one thing that we have decided as, as a business, and certainly we've focused on this in the last couple of years, um, is, is to bring in um, new talent where we can, particularly younger generations. Uh, we've, just, we've just recruited in a, a new team, actually, of graduates. Um, working with them um, is, is very motivational very enlightening. So, you know, I think, I think keeping, you know, regenerating the business and making sure that it's, it's, it's got new talent coming in is very, very important. Looking to the future then, um, as we approach the end of this, Chris, which one thing, if I, if I could tie you down to one thing, if executed or rather when executed brilliantly will get TMA World to the next level where you and Hans wanted to be? I think as a, as a summary, Mark, it, it would be as I've just described, talent with belief. I think those two things are fundamental. Um, you know, we've had the opportunity to work alongside some very inspiring people in this business, both internal to the business and external. Um, that's, that's been a fantastic journey. Um, uh, we are, as a business, are seeking, you know, the next generation of leaders to come into our business and be part of TMA World. Um, and hopefully sort of bring their own understanding of cultural intelligence and, and project that. I think the, you know, the, the age group who are entering the workplace at the moment, um, we've got a lot to learn from. Um, I think they're passionate about um, cultural intelligence. They're passionate about environmental issues and so forth. Um, it's, we've got to find those people and, and, you know, give them the springboard, you know, to, to, to get out there and, and do some great work. Okay, so what would you like me finally to to share with our listeners about TMA World? Obviously, how to contact you. Uh, you're on LinkedIn, but more importantly, your your website is www.tmaworld.com. Anything else you'd like me to link to uh, to help listeners find out more about what you stand for and the best work you offer clients? Well, the website's a great starting point. We've got all content at tmaworld.com. We've also got... Uh, uh, another uh, web address at countrynavigator.com. So Country Navigator is our online cultural training platform. Um, it provides information on over 100 countries, uh, doing business in over 100 countries. It also provides a cultural profiling tool. So there's a lot of rich uh, information and content there. But certainly the two websites, we are publishing um, a lot of information about what we do, but also general information. So uh, I'd encourage people to check the two websites out. Um, and if anybody would like to con- connect with me directly on LinkedIn or, or by phone or whatever, I'd be delighted. So I'm very happy to to connect um, as appropriate. Okay, I'll include those links in the show notes. Chris, it's been wonderful thanking you for coming on the show this morning and talking to us live from London. Thank you, Mark. Thanks very much. Chris, thank you very much for being our guest on the show this week. And we wish you and everyone at TMA World the very best into the rest of 2019 and, of course, in 2020. And for you, our listeners, it was great having you again with us this week. Thank you for taking the time out of your busy training day to listen to the show. There are lots of wonderful business podcasts out there, but you've chosen to listen to this one. And for that, we are very grateful. Please make sure you subscribe to the show. Every single Thursday, we have a fresh episode for you. Please leave a rating on Apple Podcasts if you could spare a few moments to do that because this helps us to promote the show and to attract the kinds of guests of the caliber of Chris and the other guests we've had to date whose entrepreneurial journey can help you with yours. As always, you know this, you can check out the podcast 
on Apple Podcasts, on Stitcher, on Spotify, and on other platforms in the near future. Next Thursday, we have a fresh episode of Training Business Talk for you. So wherever you are in the world listening to this, I hope to see you again next week. Until then, bye for now. once more for listening to this episode of the trainingbusiness.com podcast go to trainingbusiness.com and subscribe right now to be notified of great competitions upcoming vip episodes and amazing special offers to help you succeed in your training business see you next time